Okay. It's the original SE. Wow. Yes. It's sort of like sometimes the uh, like like touching it like to use it doesn't work and I have to like turn it off and reset it. That's a problem. Have you changed the battery out? Yes. Yeah. You know, like, I did you that, like, like the next one up and it'll probably be like just the next one up. Well, and we're planning. So like not expensive. That's we are so planning to get <laughs> new soon. Okay. So what have we been studying? And what about it? So the first week we did the army formation. And we talked about like the ghost army, like the army that was never that there, was the kind week. of. That was the second week. Was the illusion. That's the first week out. So what about the army? Their tank, they had like blow up tanks and everything like that. And there was also nope. the one where they tied like sticks to the horse's tail and they moved. Nope, that's the other week. Hold on, we'll get there. The first week. Was it first week? Okay. Like What'd you say? Battle formations, right? It was the one that kind of. Was there. Yes. Oh, was right. They split, right? They split. Okay, flanking, splitting, and I actually, in looking at something else this week, came across it. The Romans called it their order for going from like a straight line rank to a V line rank to split the other forces in half was called, this is from memory, um, it was like, like uh, CUNY, some, CUNY something formate, so like a cone formation in Latin, whatever it was. Just happened to come across that, I was like, huh, that's interesting. It's, no, like, yeah, I can't remember the exact. Because it's Latin, I never studied Latin. So, what's the purpose? Why, why do we even talk about battle formations like that, where they're splitting off the enemy? That sounds like something the devil would do. Like, we talked, and we talked about this in the second or in the review a couple weeks ago about not um, about what you want your ratio in battle to be. Three to one. Three to one. Why do you want three to one? So to outnumber like, the other army. Right, to outnumber the army, because what do you want to do once you split the forces? You want to be sure that you have more than them, like if you're going to, I remember you saying you're going to go battle with thousand people, you bring three thousand, so it's like, so it's like, you But what do you do once you split them off? You Two versus divide one. them, okay. And then it, the V formation makes so this one and this one divide the same. It's like a two on one kind of battle. And then we know the ground. Right. You are slowly you get rid of these guys, and then it's all of you know, versus just those guys. So each time you can eliminate someone, your odds are better and better and better. Um another interesting fact that I did not I knew this already that I was thought about it when I was looking at the Romans was what they used to do was because you'd have people who had been in this in their military their army service for like 10 years you'd have people that were like five then you'd have people that had only just joined so they used to always put 
the fresh guys in the front line and then they'd have like the next veterans and then like the oldest old rugged veterans who were had been around a long time and had survived a lot of battles because they were good and their their the way they used that was that as if you were the opposing army if you got through the first ranks it just got harder and harder the more guys that you got through because you were getting to the better and better fighters so it would demoralize them to be like oh my gosh these guys are even harder than the first ones they knew a lot about battle the romans they were very good at it <clears throat> okay so why does that matter we talk about it with fighting physically but what does that have to do with spiritual warfare Okay. Okay, right. So we talked about the spiritual side, and Felicia mentioned other realms, or what's another word you might use for that? Dimensions. And who operates in those other dimensions? Okay, who else? Jesus. Okay, God. Who else? Satan. All right, Satan, right? And what did we talk about Satan? What's his nature? Deception. Deception, okay. He's a liar, and he's the accuser, right? Because Satan means accuser, and then uh, devil means liar or slanderer. Accused of lying or slandering. Yes, and that's what he uses as a tactic against you. And we talked a little bit about the difference between um, when he might attack you. When you're the highest and the lowest, we also talked about the ghost army. Okay, so we can go on to the ghost army. What does that mean? It was like about World War II technique for the tanks were like balloons and everything, so they probably find one that might well leave in the area where they're actually going to attack open. Okay, so they tricked them that they thought that there was this whole army, but there was just really in painted inflatable tanks. What about. Could you imagine shooting? I remember you saying, could you imagine shooting one of those and just. It would be pretty shocking. It would also be hilarious, and then it would be so embarrassed, wouldn't they? Um, yeah, I guess you would be afterwards. Um, so, what is the point of using the inflatable tanks? Check your enemy. Okay, so it's a it's a tactic of trickery, right? What was the other example that we used? Horses' tails. And. Okay, so that's the important part, right? They surrendered before they even fought a battle. And how does that relate to Satan and how he operates? 
they tricked their opponent into thinking they were bigger. Never tells you like the truth. Like it's always it's not. Okay, that's part of it, right? Let's, what's an example of that? No example. Satan's in the Bible, right? What's an example of? Okay, what about Adam and Eve? Okay. Okay, what else? What else did he tell them? He told them that they weren't going to die. Okay, was that Flat true? Flat out. Well, they wouldn't die right now. They wouldn't die right Instant. The night is tenuous, I mean, it was a lot. That's it. They weren't going to die at all. Sure, die. Something, it was instantaneous. I mean, they're... They're aware no, they died instantly. How did they die instantly? They got kicked out of the garden for eating the forbidden fruit. This is you. This is your body. This is your soul. This is your spirit. How did they die instantly? What causes you to be dead for each of those parts? Okay, yes, we're on the right track. What does that mean? If you're explaining this to somebody who's never heard of this concept. You're just kind of making it kind of happen now. Huh? You say if you're explaining this to somebody I know. I, I I want you to be able to explain it, to understand it. If we're thinking about salvation, how are you when you're born? Physically, what are you like when you're born? Small. That's true, but are you alive or dead? You're alive. You're alive. Unless the, unless you're still born. Right. Right. We're talking about you guys. So, what about your soul? That's your personality, right? It's linked uh, who you are as an individual. Is that alive when you're born? Yeah, we just don't know what it is yet, right? We have yet to see who you are. So that's alive. What about your spirit? Are you sure? When you're born, like aren't you born a sinner? You are. So what does sin bring? Death. You're dead. Your spirit is... Not that you don't have one, but it's dead. So how does it become alive? Church. Make it alive. 
who does? Who has the power to give life? God, right? So you have to ask him to make your spirit alive. The only way to do that is by him, by, well, he's already done it, but by you accepting his gift of taking on that sin, removing it from you, once it's gone, your spirit can be awakened, can be, become alive. Um, trying to remember why we went down this rabbit trail. Because <laughs> Adam and Eve, how did they die? Yes. Um, right. So, was Satan <coughs> lying about them dying? Yes. Because he said they would have. But they did. Their spirit did. But did they physically die? No. Not right away. So, what does that tell you about Satan? How does he formulate his lies? With some truth, it's very important because Satan, anything, um, everything that Satan does and says is a false version of what God has already created. It's something that was perfect and good and Satan takes it and manipulates it and twists it into something else. Something that is false and a bad version of it. It's a fake version. You guys ever um, hear the term uh, a faux finish? Or like... Um, like F-A-U-X? Yes. Do you know what that means? No. Yeah, a false or a fake finish. They used to, this was super popular in like, um, much of America's early history was to take like cheaper wood and paint it to look like more expensive wood. They paint over top, and it's actually very convincing the way they do it. They'd also take wood and they'd paint it to look like marble and do it very convincingly. But it's really not. It's not, it's a lesser quality in the end. And that's what Satan does, is he tries to trick you with those kinds of things. So that leads us to what did you talk about last week? Talked about World War II again. Yes, we did talk about that two weeks ago. Yeah, how they're on the radio. Oh yeah, and make people like fear, like fear, like oh my God, why she's cheating on me, and the whole. And we talked about the flyer bomb. About the what? Flyer bomb, the bomb that drops all the flyers around all the Oh, yes. Flyer bomb, yes. Um, so what do we call all that, those examples? Propaganda. Propaganda. And what is propaganda? It's like something that's exaggerated. It's a... Like... It can be. Something make you like fear, worry, something trying to make you afraid. Or is it 
it was in the Tokyo the Rose version. Okay, right. Yeah, that were those but it's like false that. things. No, they're just Rosie the Riveter wasn't okay. actually existed, though. Right. But it was used to get women to scrap like, metal. Huh. And actually go do the jobs with the men. Do you think? Them around, I guess. Yes. Do you think Rosie the River? What's exaggerated about Rosie the Riveter, other than they, her muscles? Rosie the Riveter didn't actually think that like they just I, I don't know. Rosie the Riveter never actually was a real Riveter. It was just a poster. She never actually did the job. Right. She never but, women but there were many women who were doing that job. Okay, don't don't focus on the fake part because nobody thought that Rosie the Riveter was a real person. They just wanted it's like, to like you don't think Mickey Mouse is a real mouse, okay? Right. They're just like, you can do it too. Look at this woman. Yes. So what's wrong is there what's wrong with that? They're lying. I mean, they're not lying. It's not a great place to work. I mean, they made it seem like, you know what I mean? Like, they were like, look how strong she is. Okay. And you'll be strong like that, too. Like, she's kind of right. They always gaze over to so, the other looking at her. It's glorified. It, okay, it is glorified. I will give you that. That might be a little bit exaggerated, like how fun it is. Yeah, like, she's so happy and, like, Yes. And you can actually watch videos like they did, like live videos of the factory, and they're all like this, like, like working on stuff and stuff. Uh, maybe, but, but. She did. Do you think some of that was happening, though? Probably. Probably. Oh, ever. I mean, it's not going to not happen. Okay. Unless all men were there were no one to, um, to make parts, right? Okay. But is one of those a more noble outcome? Well, yeah. Okay. But I don't know whether it's for good or for bad. To a certain degree. Like, yes. So what do you think? Okay, so what's the let's? I don't want to spend too much time on this, but what? Let's talk. What about like uh, say no to drugs campaign? That's propaganda. But it's good propaganda if a drug can kill you. Right. But it's. I mean, that's gonna sound bad, but like you're manipulating people to. I don't think you have to manipulate people to not do drugs. I know, they don't but like, really do them. but like, to prevent the next, next generation of. They make it. Right. They make. Okay, so I'm gonna bring one, one closer to home. They make it. I'm gonna bring you one closer to home. What about open house? And I'm thinking internally, because. We talk about how great it is, how much fun it is. Is it not fun? <laughs> but 
How much work is it? A ton. It can be both. It can be funny. Okay. That's and that's that's what I'm trying to get at. That specifically in the Rosie the Riveter situation, Being if they writer, did not, if they didn't not go to work, if they did not do what they were doing at home. Yeah, a strong argument could be made that the outcome of the war would not have been what it was. Yeah. That possibly we, it, World War II could have been dragged out longer. I think it was inevitable on the European front, but the, um, the Pacific theater with Japan and everything might not have been the same all the women at home weren't making ammunition and building battleships and planes and everything else. Not to mention how some women actually helped on the atomic bomb. Right. So it's, there are things where leaders make a decision that they say, hey, we need to somehow rally everybody to fight for this cause that is good. And that's where it matters who your leader is. Is your leader a good person with good motives and leading in the right direction, or are they someone who is manipulating for their own purposes or some other malicious or slightly malicious? What if they're doing it for good reasons, reason. but also for a personal gain? Well, that makes things more complicated. But I just want—I just want to say that in the fact that it's. difficult to just demonize something like that okay where it's easier there is propaganda that's super easy to demonize like North Korea and the way that they operate within their government okay so easy to say everyone can say that's wrong right <clears throat> okay so tonight we are going to talk about intimidation as a tactic remember the intimidator might not. We talked about him on the, on the youth retreat. I was not part of the youth retreat. On. <laughs> I, it's in my brain, but I can't remember the name. I wasn't even at the youth retreat. It's okay, we aren't going for this. Remember Dale Earnhardt? Yes. His nickname was the Intimidator as a driver. Yeah, because he like did he drive on the grass one time? Is that him? He did. Yes, he was pretty much he was known for his driving style, just being that he would never back down. He wouldn't let off, you know, being right on somebody's tail. He was very intense about it. We're not going to talk about him tonight, but um, do you, have you guys ever heard of? I I think you probably have, but. Who? Mike Tyson. Oh, yeah. yeah. How about Conor McGregor? Who? Oh my gosh, dude, that guy. Huh? It's the guy. He's like, he's like. Oh uh, yeah, there are some pictures like that. He like. because. He, that's like his thing. He's more of a current fighter in, but in MMA. Yes. Um, I don't watch MMA. It's okay. You don't have to. Maybe he's, because uh, my dad won't let me. So. What, so what do you know about Mike Tyson's approach to fighting? Do you know anything about it? Not really. 
He was very aggressive. How about Conor McGregor? I'm assuming you're the Nothing. only one who. He. I don't know about like his fighting style, but like. like well, he's a queen. I say, how about just the way he approaches fighting overall? He's very forward. Like he's never, you know, like he's always like you know when they like when you like go with your like opponent or whatever before the fight, he's always like. Yes, he is. He's, so like, right here, he's like. He is. Ah, he is. Getting in their face. Yes, he always gets in people's faces. He is. Like he is famous for trash talking, and there's a lot of other fighters. I just use him as one example because he's a famous, probably one of the most famous in MMA, where people know him that don't watch MMA because he is such a vocal out there on social media talking about how wimpy people are. Yeah. Talking about other fighters' mothers, other fighters' girlfriends, their wives. He is. He does now. Now some of that is just it is a technique to make more money, to get people interested because right to be people like I just I can't wait to see so and so bashing Conor McGregor's face because they don't like it right. He knows that he's the bad guy and he plays up. On being the bad guy. And so more people like him, more people. Yeah, so more people, when they say, I don't like what you said about my mom, I'm gonna fight you, that's exactly what he wants to happen. Okay. <laughs> he does what, have you ever heard of getting somebody's goat? Oh, like kind of like pulling on there's like pulling the strings a bit, like messing with them kind of. Yes, do you know what, where that phrase comes from? No. So, uh, another sport, um, horse racing, what they do, I think they still do it, but they used to have what's called a calming goat. And they put a goat in with the horse in their pen because it would make them just calmer, like they wouldn't freak out when they're in their pen. It would, because, I have, okay, I didn't know that, but it makes sense. So, because what's bad about racehorses, if they are in their pen and they start freaking out. They're gonna burst out and run. Well, worse than that, they might break their leg or something like that, because they'll get hung up on something or pull muscle. It's and then it ruins their career. Yes, and that's why they use the common goat. So, Conor McGregor does that thing. He finds out that things that's important to you. And what they used to do was steal the goat out of the pen before the race to try to throw the race, or so they would win instead of the the favored horse. So that's what Conor McGregor tries to do: is to get your goat before the fight even starts. Um, then what he does, he's criticized for this. It's probably not always a valid criticism, but what he does is he like dances around the ring and like he's always because he has super long arms that he's always getting right out of everybody's reach so people can't land a punch and he waits for just the right timing and comes in and knocks you out. He's not really a ground guy where he fights on the ground. He's all about the punching and dancing around. And that makes people even more mad and then they overextend themselves and get caught in a bad position. This sounds like a really hilarious thing to watch. I really want to watch this dude now. So 
On the other side of intimidation, because that's one type um, where you use different kinds of things, uh, you play more a different kind of mental game, but Mike Tyson is not a clown like Conor McGregor likes to play. He is super serious, very intense. Like even now, even though he's retired with boxing, he is still trains for fun and he is intense. And for him, when that bell would ring, he would he would charge. They don't run in boxing, but he would be like really fast power walking right across the ring and throwing fists as soon as he got in there. And he's somebody who he just fights with ferocity the entire time and intensity and he... Some people were actually so terrified of him. They asked him for his name before after seeing what he did. They did. They absolutely did. And he, he for good blood. reason. Like he because blood. his type of intimidation was people knew he had real power was everything that he did before and he was always serious so let's go to philippians chapter one we're going to spend most of our time in philippians tonight and this is paul writing to a church and explaining to them um how to be prepared spiritually, how they, should, how they should act. And really the key to being successful in spiritual warfare. Although he does not use the term warfare, that's exactly what he's talking about. So we're going to read verse 27 to start. one? Yes, please. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Okay. So what is your conversation? We've talked about that before. Like, just like how you carry yourself, right? Yes. It's, uh... Interact with the world. Yep, exactly. Uh, you might call it an example, right? Um... And Paul says here that I'm coming to visit you, and when I get there, that you are what? He's hoping that they are going to be what when he arrives? That their conversation shows they are... As if he... What? Unified, yes. Oh, yeah. He wants them to be one mind and one spirit in the faith that this church should not be divided, is they should have one focal point. What's that focal point? What did you say, Felicia? Christ. Christ, and you said the gospel, right? And that's exactly what it says, the gospel of Christ. That's your focus. That's what's the most important thing, is that Jesus is at the center in that story. Now, this is what we discussed at the very beginning of this series, that's very important, is we talked about being unified, right? That that army needs to be unified. And we talked about how the Romans used the same uh, splitting of the forces 
But there's another thing that they did that's more about how they operate than how they force themselves on the enemy. And have you ever heard of uh, a phalanx? P-H-A-L-A-N-X. I've seen the word, but I don't know what Okay. Oh, yeah, I'm right up. Who and or what is a phalanx? I'm probably not even saying it right now. Phalanx. That's it. That's better. <coughs> so, um, you probably do know what it is. You just... Um, I've definitely seen that word before. Don't know the word for it. Never so this was... First, the beginnings of it, the Greeks came up with this, but the Romans perfected it. in some movie or something, studied it in history at some point. And what they do is the first row all has their shields overlapping, then the next row stands and puts their shield over the top. And the Romans actually took it one level more, and their shields were actually shaped like this. And so they're kind of like part of a barrel, imagine that. So made it so it would deflect bullets, no, sorry, projectiles off of it. Um, a bullet is a projectile. So, and that they covered the whole body. They were almost a meter, which is like a yard tall. And they would take it and make, form what is called uh, tortoise or tortoise, where they covered over the head and all around on four sides sometimes as well, so that nobody could get in. They had every side covered. And, the key was, is they had to be totally unified in their movement. Especially in the tortoise, they moved very slowly to make sure nobody got out of place. But they would, and they still use this today, especially with riot control. And we had to train this in the army for the military police. Because you still have like your riot shields and you have your baton and stuff. And what you do when you move is, you, everybody takes a step forward with their left foot and then they drag their right. So it's a stomp, drag, stomp, drag, and like 30 people doing that at the same time. So you're getting this real big boom, boom, boom. It gets intimidating when you're just a bunch of protesters with nothing and there's this whole big wall of shields coming at you or even in a battle the enemy is coming at you, and sometimes you also, they um, hit their shield at a certain time too. So that signals we are very disciplined, 
and we are all of one mind. We have one purpose and one goal. Um, now, the weak part is it only takes one person to get their shield out of place or to get tired. The entire thing to collapse. And let, not to collapse, but to let that shield down and weak point. an arrow can get in through a gap. And take out one of the ones on the bottom and, it can, and then that one's out. Take and out any one of them. Charging into the spear and take them all out. So it's important to keep it that you hold your position and you do your part in this group. Until so, all that. Now, Paul is very familiar with the Romans because he was a Roman citizen himself and everybody knew them around. That's why he talks about the, um, the armor of God and specifically there's other parts where he talks about uh, being a soldier and whatnot because he was familiar with this kind of concept. And this is how the church needs to be organized, that you have to have the same goal, the same purpose, and as he says here, that you should be striving together. What does that mean, to strive together? kind of an old word. We don't use it too often. I don't know. Like, you're all trying. Okay, trying. That's good. Because you can strive by yourself. Like, in sync or in unison of that? That's the together part. But the striving is you are putting forth effort. You could say that you're toiling, you're working, that it's really hard, that you're pushing against something, that you are struggling together. And yes, it takes effort to do it. So he's implying that, that this isn't something that's just gonna come easy, but you're going to have to work at it. Now, let's go on to verse 28, and we'll keep this, uh, this formation in our mind as we read this. Without being framed in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. Okay. So, he says, in, don't be intimidated by your enemy in any way. Um, mine was, a, this version is a little different. The King James, it says, not to be terrified by your adversaries. And... <clears throat> Let me ask you then, as we switch to the spiritual side, how is Satan going to try to intimidate you? What might he do? How about this? This might put a different, um, put you in a different frame of mind. How is the spirit of Antichrist going to intimidate you? I'm still not really sure. Maybe threats or something? Mm, no. It's like, I don't know, like you're thinking about like, like, like the Antichrist, like the person? 
So there is an Antichrist, the person who will come, but Jesus also says there is a spirit of Antichrist in the world. Well, you're scared of like something happening to you for what you believe, but you could be scared to okay. tell people like, who you actually are. Okay, that's a good one. I like that one. Um, let's also think about it in the sense that you're all one group. He wants to pick off one of you. He yeah, wants to has, like, get in there. Um, not necessarily, because let's think of this as a church. That not everybody is at the same place spiritually, right? But there are all things, Satan has tactics to use at every stage of your spiritual journey. He has something that will work or that he has seen work on somebody else at, that in a similar situation before. Because remember, he's been watching people for 10,000, 12,000, however long we've been here. He's been watching us. And he probably knows someone, not the same as you, but pretty similar. Similar situation, similar personality. And he's going to use something like that against you. Um, so, what in that context, if you're thinking about the church being unified, how can he try to intimidate you? How can he sow seeds? Like, remember, do you guys remember the parable of the making bread in the yeast? that you put the yeast in and it grows into something larger. And Jesus used that for good things, but also for bad things. It just takes a little bit of something bad to spread and make everything um, bad within it. I'm not looking for anything specific. I'm just seeing a few guys think of anything. How how might Satan try to poison or take down the church? How might he go about that? Okay, that's good. Create a divide in the church. That's very good. So, because <clears throat> that's his goal, right? If he can, if he could divide two of you off from the rest of them, that'd make it real easy. At least he'd get those two. So, how about this? Um, what if you felt like, uh, I just feel like People, the people in my group, they just, at church, they just don't want me around. They think I'm annoying. They think that I'm just a burden, that I'm not helpful. Because those are real thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but not, not necessarily here, but I felt those thoughts at different times in my life where you feel that way with a certain group. 
So how do you go about stopping that type of intimidation from poisoning your mind? Well, here we go. This is good. Would it? So, if those are your thoughts, if that was your thoughts, how, what would I might mean, you do? I would go and I would be the person who nobody else. Would do that. Okay, that's good. Um, anyone, anybody else? How about how about if? Those thoughts are somebody else's and not yours. I do not know. Well, you don't necessarily know that they have those thoughts, but... asking them. Well, you don't even have to ask them. How do you make it so people don't have those thoughts? I don't know. Treat them like they belong. Okay, that's good. Treat them like they belong there. Let's go to Galatians, just over a couple books. Uh, back towards the front. Chapter 6. <clears throat> we keep coming back to this because it's important. 20, verse 22 through 23. You don't necessarily have to read it. We don't have to read it, but you guys can read it yourself. Galatians. Oh, I'm sorry, 5. I was looking at 6 right below it. Sorry, my bad. Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23. You should be familiar with all these. So, if these are your thoughts, what of those can you use? Because that's the fruits of the Spirit, right? That's what you can use in your spiritual life to make sure that you can win the battle before it even happens. What could you use? The fruit of the Spirit is Sure. Okay, so which of those might you use if you are having thoughts where you feel like you're not wanted, feel like you're a burden? What could you use? What's the greatest of all of them? Love, right? How about you show up and you make sure that you're loving everyone or that you assume the best of everyone, that they really don't think that about you, that that's all just things that uh, you are inventing that are issue. How about long suffering? having patience what if it's somebody else's thoughts that you're not even aware of how do you create an environment where someone doesn't think those thoughts well you were on the right path Felicia what did you say earlier okay so love them right love everybody you don't know how they're feeling, how, that, how their day's been going. They might be feeling really down. Treat them with gentleness. How about peace? Make it a peaceful place, a place that they want to be, an attractive place, okay? So 
the more these foods, sorry, fruits are abounding in your orchard, right? This is the time of year where you drive past the orchards and you see, hopefully, that the trees are just falling over with the amount of fruit on them. I've driven past some, some peach trees where the branches are like on the ground, but probably some of them are broken because they are so full of peaches. And this is, this is how we want each person to be within the church that is producing so much fruit that there is an overabundance that it can't be stopped. Because when, as a church, if you are faithful in the little things that God has already given us, faithful with the people that are already there, he'll give you more. See, you're doing good with what you have, you'll get more. Okay. Um, so. Uh, this. Sometimes I write things that don't make sense when I look at them later. Maybe you have some so, what if, um, here's another thing. What if Satan's intimidation tactic is that you think that people at East Shelby are just amazing. All of East Shelby is amazing, um, and people love how historic our building is, and that draws them in. They think that it's great how we do all this old-timey stuff. How could that be a tactic? How could Satan use that? Pride, what'd you say? Oh, okay. Oh. But, okay. to use that against us by possibly using the tiny things by taking that and kind of putting it towards his kind of way. Make it look more like that side and more appealing. Okay, so to make you think that that's the real. Um, the real piece that draws people in. So, what if, so along those lines, what if Satan kind of encourages that attitude that you have that you think, all right, don't ever, whatever it takes, we don't ever want to lose the integrity of our building. We don't want to change how it is. It's got to be totally the same. And and it's not even that you necessarily have anything to do with it right now. Don't have a choice in it or anything, but maybe that's a thought that sits there for many years. Time goes on down the road, and you do have the opportunity to be a part of decisions. And... That's where you be, it begins to grow more in importance in your mind than what the real mission of the church is. And it be, could become a sticking point. Something where you might say, oh, no, we can't change the shingles on it to this type. That would, that would ruin it. But would it really? People get into arguments about all sorts of things People leave because of things like that. All right. So, let's look at, let's uh, back in Philippians where we started. 
Look at verse 27 again. That um, the end part there where it says, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In this case, something like that. Number one, you guys talked about pride. So what's the opposite that's a fruit of the Spirit? We talked about meekness. Very good, right? Meekness, number one. Um, That maybe things, it's not so amazing except for the fact that God is the center. Maybe that's the real reason. Well, it is the real reason, but to encourage you. Um, How about, oh, let's read now verse 28 again. Okay, this is a little, um, it's a little wordy, this second part, a little difficult to understand. What is that second part of that verse talking about? It's talking about our adversaries, which is Satan and um, the fallen angels with him. Perdition um, means like hell or um, um, that's the closest thing that I have to it. it it's an older word that often refers to hell or things along with that. So this is talking about <clears throat> that when Satan is attacking the, sh- the church, that's how you know that you are highly intimidating to him. He's not, if it's evident that there are, um, that there are spiritual attacks happening on the church, that's because you're probably doing something right. Because Satan is perfectly happy to leave you to do your own sinful stuff because you can, you can drag yourself down on your own. It doesn't, most of the time it doesn't even take him to do anything about it. He is looking for that strong group that can't be divided and he's going to try to find a chink in the armor, a way in, a way to get one of his darts in between the shields where somebody has let their shield of faith down, let it slide. And last year, in April, May time frame, Pastor was having a reoccurring dream. He kept having a dream about a tiger. Tiger was coming in his dream and just staring him down, just like, bam looking right into his eyes, just staring him down. And 
this was during the time when all around the government was trying to suppress how the churches could gather, trying to control that. And in the last dream that he had with, with that tiger in it, the tiger turned around and walked away. That kind of happened after um, things kind of started to settle down, how we had continued to meet, we met in the parking lot. We figured out a way to keep gathering as a church, to meet together, to still make progress towards spreading the gospel. And I only tell you that because he has mentioned it in the adult Bible study before in this past year. I wouldn't tell you it otherwise. But, and I'm not trying to put a lot of weight on dreams or anything like that. But it is an interesting thing to have that he had that over and over at a time where Satan was finding a lot of victory against the church, against other churches, because many other churches closed their doors, and some of them have not opened again. And they had already been, been weak in their shields of faith. They had let them low, and Satan didn't have to do much to get in, to shut it down. And <clears throat> you will not always see where the battle is, where that spiritual battle is going on. It might not be obvious to you. But in those still small moments of prayer, little decisions where you decide, I'm for God, have a big effect in the spiritual realm. Little decisions like John saying, I'll do whatever audio stuff you need me to do. Every week, I'll do it. You might not think of that as spiritual warfare, but that's having an effect on people's spiritual lives. We were able to, to grow as a church spiritually because of those things that, you, that happen in the physical world. There were countless people that were praying about what to do, praying that pastor would have wisdom, that Levi would have wisdom, that, that, um, that the deacons in the church would make good decisions. Those are important things that happen, that you take those opportunities to make sure to be a part of it. And we do not even know what a real attack looks like, especially in the physical world. You guys aware of, you guys aware of What's going on in like the world news right now? The big headline? Nope. Yeah, yep. Not really. That Afghanistan has been taken over again by the Taliban. As soon as we left, they rolled in. They took over the government. Their, the Afghan president fled. And what we're now looking at that probably not a lot of the other world is concerned was it with, though, is that the Christians that are in Afghanistan are in a tough place right now. They're going, they're in hiding, going into hiding because they're going to face persecution there now. They are in a, in many ways, they are, 
and in a real way, they are going to be in a fight for their life. And that is, that is absolutely Satan is taking advantage of that. So, this is why two weeks ago I said that warfare, part of warfare is that it's a way of life. There's spiritual warfare also. Because sometimes you might not be in the thick of the fight. No one knew what 2020 was going to be. Nobody knew in Afghanistan a year ago that it was going to be toppled. And just like that, it was going to be a dangerous place for them. Spiritual warfare, just like any other type of warfare, can come along at any time. So the last verse in... Not the last, second to last verse in Philippians. Last one for the night, verse 29. Let's read that. That's all right. Gideon's Bible. Felicia. Verse 29, please. For unto you is, is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Okay. Paul says that it's not only for you to partake in the good things that Christ gives you, but also in his sufferings as well. And I heard today a powerful thing um, that I hadn't heard described this, this commandment before from Jesus. But Jesus asks us to pick up our cross and follow him. And you think about the cross and the cross as a death as a finality is not a quick process. Think of, compare it to a beheading, to being a firing squad or electric chair. None of those things are what God chose, what Jesus chose for death. Instead, he chose the cross where he actually had to carry the cross and then endure for hours upon it. And that's what he asks us to do, not in a necessarily in a physical way, although some have, but as a representative for what it's like to follow him. That you go and you pick up that cross, and as Paul said, daily. And it requires a moment-to-moment, a day-to-day decision. And spiritual warfare is every day. And Satan knows this, If he can get you to turn off the path, if he can get you to throw off your cross, if he can get you to lower your shield just a little bit that day, just drop that cross before you finish the race, then he'll go for that kill shot. Or one to maim you. One, to give you difficulty the rest of your life. Whatever he can do to slow you down in achieving that ultimate goal. Um, 
We won't turn there, but I'll read it for you. Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee when no man pursueth. So it doesn't take any intimidation for them to flee. But the righteous are bold as a lion. So, be wise and choose to be righteous through Jesus. And then be bold to stand with the cross every day. When you stand with the cross, when you choose Jesus to be your your sword and your shield and the rock that you stand on, the wicked will flee. That's the name that everyone has to bend the knee to. Even the demons bowed down before Jesus when he was here on earth. So, be strong in Christ, and that's how you're going to win all those spiritual battles. All right, thank you guys.